What a great story there in the book of Mark. Uh, lots of different things happening in this chapter. And depending on your background, you might read this and think, you know, it's like stepping into a different world. Different world to the world that we live in. This is a world of unclean spirits. This is a world of lepers. This is a world where people are being healed instantaneously. Uh, that's just like Auckland today, yeah? Oh, not, not so much. We, we don't see things like that. I remember when I was a university student still, uh, I met up with a young guy who was not a Christian, uh, and we decided that we read the book of Mark together. We didn't get far in. We got to this chapter, this part of chapter one, and suddenly he was like, I, I just can't read on. This is so unbelievable. Uh, where have all these unclean spirits gone? If this is what the world's meant to be like, then what's going on? He, he had to stop here. He couldn't go on. And maybe you've got that same kind of issue with Christianity. Maybe as you come in this morning, you're sitting here thinking, where has the miraculous gone? You might like some of the Christian values that you hear about, patience, kindness, humility. Those things might be attractive to you, but you get stuck on this idea from the Bible of things that are supernatural, things that are miraculous. The question that we're considering this morning as we study this passage is, why don't we see miracles today? I thought the best way to answer that would be if I just did a miracle for you right now. Uh, that's why I'm holding a glass of water. We'll just No, I, I don't know if that will happen. Uh, I don't have a gift of miracles as far as I'm aware. And God hasn't promised me that he will perform a miracle this morning. And so I don't want to put God to the test on something that he hasn't said he'll do. Uh, but I'll look, put the water here. And look, if God wants to change that into wine across the morning, that's up to him. We'll see what he can do. But I think if we're asking the question, why don't we see miracles today, uh, I think you are making a fair observation. I don't want to undercut that. It really does seem like we live in a different world to the world described here in Mark chapter 1. What I want to say, though, is that it might be the next step after that observation where we go wrong. I hear two common misconceptions about the Bible, and I think they make us stumble at this point. If you go your outline there, you'll see them written down. You can open up and find some space to take notes. The first misconception, once we've made the observation that miracles don't seem to happen too much nowadays, we add to that an assumption that in the Bible, miracles were happening every day, everywhere, for everyone. That's something I used to think. Before I stopped to actually read much of the Bible for myself, when my Christianity was just based on things that I was hearing and perceptions that I had from Christian culture, I thought the Bible was just full of miracles. From page one to page end, uh, there's just miracles on every page. That's what I thought. If that was the case, if miracles were everywhere, every day for everyone in the Bible, it would be very odd that we don't see miracles happening now in that same way. But when you actually read the Bible, you find that miracles are pretty rare. There are many characters in the Bible who never saw anything miraculous. Nothing that we would put in that category of miraculous, at least. They never saw any healing. They never saw any demons or unclean spirits. They never saw anything like that. Sometimes, as you actually trace the history that's contained in the Bible... Because uh, there's lots of things that get skipped over and we kind of focus on the main characters. But if you think about how long it was between those things, sometimes hundreds of years go past between one miraculous event and the next. And then keep in mind that in the Bible, we're just reading about one nation, the nation of Israel. 
Not what's happening in the rest of the world where it seems God wasn't doing anything kind of miraculous apart from within Israel. So we have to do away with this misconception. We have to do away with this idea that in the Bible, miracles were happening every day, everywhere, for everyone. No, the people in the Bible lived in a world very much like ours. There's a second misconception as well, though, and this is the idea that people who were living in the time of the Bible, well, maybe they were just a bit more gullible than us. You know, they're old, they're living in an earlier time, they're living before all the great scientific discoveries that we've made in our generation. And so they're more likely to believe that things are miraculous, where we might be a bit more sceptical and push and prod and find some natural explanation for them. A good way to describe this misconception, C.S. Lewis coined this term, would be chronological snobbery. We think we're the best, everyone that's come before, they're worse than us, they're lesser than us, they're dumber than us. Maybe you've met someone that thinks like that. Maybe you think like that yourself. It's surprisingly common to think that we're the smartest generation that's ever lived. And if that's your assumption, when you come to Mark chapter 1, you'll think, maybe Jesus was just a trickster. Maybe he was a good illusionist and he deceived people and they were just a bit gullible And they thought, yeah, this is really happening. Well, Mark chapter 1 pushes back on both of those assumptions. It pushes back on the miracles every day, everywhere assumption and the chronological snobbery. Have a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 27. This is where Jesus has just told an unclean spirit to shut up and leave a man. And have a look at how people respond in verse 27. They were all intrigued, saying, oh, this is pretty cool. This reminds me of what old mate was doing down the road last year. Now, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see that's not what it says, right? They they weren't just intrigued. They didn't say, oh, this is something we've seen before. Verse 27, they're all amazed. They began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. You see, Jesus was big news. These events of Mark chapter 1 are not everyday events. They they weren't things that people were expecting to see. This was something new and unique. You get the same picture when you come into chapter 2. In chapter 2, Jesus has just healed a man who has been paralyzed for a long time. Jesus just tells him to stand up. Instantly, he's healed. Have a look at the response in Mark chapter 2, verse 12. They were all astounded. They gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. There's something new, something unique about Jesus. And just to make sure we get this idea, I want to show you one other place in Mark that captures it. Come over to Mark chapter 8, so a few pages across. Have a look at verse 27. Jesus here, he's asking his close followers what people are saying about him. Who do they think he is? In verse 28, they answer. Some are saying John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. There's a bit going on in there, but the one I want us to focus in on is Elijah. Why do some people think that Jesus is Elijah? Elijah was a figure in the Old Testament, and Elijah was the last major character in the Bible who was performing lots of different miracles. Elijah healed people, 
He provided perpetual food for a widow just from one jar. It just kept pouring like the unending packet of Tim Tams, if you remember those ads. Elijah raised the widow's dead son back to life. Elijah was a pretty phenomenal character. And so when Jesus comes along and they're seeing all the miracles, some people are thinking, oh, this looks like Elijah looked. Now here's the catch with that idea. Elijah lived 900 years before Jesus. 900 years. See how this pushes back on our idea that miracles might be every day, everywhere, for everyone in the Bible? They're seeing in Jesus something the likes of which they haven't seen for centuries. And even then, with Jesus, they're seeing something that's greater than, more than Elijah ever was. These aren't gullible pre-scientific people who just think, you know, the laws of nature get broken every day. They know the laws of nature. They know that they're seeing in Jesus something that is phenomenal. And so the question we should be asking when we come to Mark chapter 1 is not, why don't we see miracles today? Rather, it's, who is this man? Who is this Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee? Let's go back through Mark chapter 1 and we'll ask that question, see what we can learn about this man, Jesus. The first thing that we see is that Jesus is the true authority. Jesus is the true authority. Now pick up the story in verse 21, Mark 1 verse 21. They went into Capernaum, right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They're astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Now up on screen, I put a map of Galilee at the time of Jesus, just so that you can see what's going on here. Around the middle, you might see Nazareth written in red text. So that's where Jesus grew up. That's kind of his hometown. Uh, Now, as we come into Mark 1, Jesus has gone up a little bit and to the east. I don't know which direction that is on the screen for you, but where that little sea is in the middle, the Sea of Galilee, that's where Jesus is hanging out. And you might see Capernaum on the edge of the shore. Uh, I've got a photo up there as well of what Capernaum looks like today. You see a couple of modern buildings there that have been built to kind of commemorate this special location. But you see the ruins of the ancient town as well. wouldn't necessarily call it a city, more like a village. I show you those things just so that you remember, and it's always helpful to remember when we read the Bible, this is not Lord of the Rings, not made up places. These are real places in the world. Jesus was walking on the shores of that sea 2,000 years ago. Real people, real places, real times. And so Jesus has turned up in Capernaum and he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And one of the buildings in that photo was the old synagogue of Capernaum. So Jesus is there on the the special religious day for the Jews. The, The synagogue is where they would gather on their Sabbath day, that day of religious rest. And Jesus goes in and he starts to teach. You notice how people respond. Verse 22, they're astounded. They hear in Jesus' teaching a certain authority. That's the word that's used, authority. Now, we're not told exactly what that was, but we're told that he's teaching in a way that's different from the scribes. That's the regular Jewish religious leaders. Jesus is doing something different. And as we read Jesus' teaching elsewhere in the Bible, we we notice that he didn't quote anyone else. He wasn't quoting Moses from before. He wasn't quoting rabbis from earlier times. Jesus just kind of spoke with this authority like he was telling the truth firsthand. He spoke as if he knew what was going on. He just, he just said things on his own authority. 
So people are hearing that. They recognize Jesus has this authority as a teacher. But then something crazy happens in this synagogue and Jesus' authority shows up in another way. Verse 23, just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed. So they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. What is this indeed? An unclean spirit. This is not, I don't think, I think we can see in the text, this is not just an episode of psychosis, uh, some mental delusion for this man in the synagogue that day. Uh, This is an external spiritual being operating in and speaking through a man. That external spiritual being, he, he knows things that no human yet knows about Jesus. There's an insight that he has that shows us this is not some mental delusion. This is, this is a real spiritual being. That's a bit of a scary idea, isn't it? That there are spiritual beings, evil spiritual beings that can take control of people. We'll come back to the fear that might be associated with that in a moment. But I want to reiterate again here that Evil spirits, unclean spirits, demons, they're not common in the Bible. I want to test your memory if you've got some familiarity with the Bible. How, how many times do you think evil spirits or demons come up before Jesus in the Bible? Think back to bits of the Old Testament you might have read. I think the answer is never. Or perhaps twice. There are two incidents that you might say are something like what we're seeing in Mark chapter 1. I think they're different. You can come and talk to me about those ones if you know the ones I'm talking about. I don't think we see evil spirits or demons anywhere in the Old Testament. So we've got in the Bible this long history of Israel with no unclean spirits. And then Jesus turns up and suddenly there's unclean spirits everywhere. What's going on? The key is actually a couple of sentences earlier in Mark chapter 1. You might remember this from last week if you were with us. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This was the message that Jesus was announcing, the first words on his lips, going around the whole region of Galilee. Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come. The rule and reign of God has come to the earth. How does that help us with unclean spirits? Well, see, God created the whole earth. And that means that God is the rightful ruler over the whole world. The whole world ought to be God's kingdom. That might help us to think about what this kingdom of God idea is. God is the creator. He is the ruler. The whole world should be his kingdom. But there's another kingdom that has taken hold in this world. The kingdom of evil. The kingdom of the devil. How did that take hold? Well, when we as humans first rebelled against the authority of God, early on in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, when we rebelled against God, it's like God said, well, you want to experience the world without me ruling? You want to experience the world not as my kingdom? Let me give you a taste of that. 
and God withdrew. Uh, how, how a world without God ruling goes, it looks like the world that we live in, a world full of pain and sickness, a world full of broken relationships, and a world where spiritual powers that also rebelled against God, well, they get to have their way. That's the world at the start of the Old Testament, it meant to be God's kingdom, but we've rebelled against God and so God's withdrawn. We've kicked him off the throne as king and he's gone, okay, let me show you what that's going to look like. Then as history went on within that wicked world, God, he set up this nation of Israel to be kind of an outpost of his kingdom. So think of the nation of Israel as like a little place within the world where God reigns, where God is the ruler. I think that's why we don't see unclean spirits or demons in the Old Testament. They're there in the world, but they're outside of Israel. Israel gets warned very strictly not to associate in things that the nations around them are doing, things associated with the dead and with unclean spirits, raising the spirits of the dead. It's all happening outside, but Israel is in a sense protected. God is ruling there. They are his people. But Israel then rejected God too. You might know the time at the end of the Old Testament where kind of the walls of Israel come down, literally. They get broken down, smashed in. Israel as a nation is destroyed. Everyone gets taken off into captivity in Babylon. The walls of Jerusalem come down and the kingdom of the devil comes into Israel. That's where the Old Testament ends. Then we get to Mark chapter 1, the start of a new era And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come because the king himself has turned up in the world. Jesus is none other than God the king, walking the earth to set up a new outpost of his kingdom, a new group of people who willingly submit to his loving rule. That's why when Jesus comes, well, there's this clash of kingdoms. King Jesus Verse King Devil. We're going to see that play out as Mark goes on, but we're getting a taste of that here as Jesus comes up against this unclean spirit. It's wartime in Israel. Jesus versus the devil. Does that make sense? Have you managed to stay along in that kind of history, a bit of an overview of what's going on? But that's why when Jesus comes, there's something new, something unique. This is God walking the world and he's up against an enemy. And the evil spirit knows this in Mark 1. That's why he cries out in verse 24. This might make sense of the spirit's words there. Have you come to destroy us? He knows it's wartime. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus is God the King, coming with all the power, all the authority of God. It's wartime. But it's not a fair fight. Uh, One of the things you might not know about me, even after I've been here for five years, is that I love kids' ministry. Uh, I might be able to do some of that in the new church that we're going to. I look forward to maybe stepping into that space again. Uh, I love the energy of kids. I love running around with them, kind of running all the energy out of the boys so we can then sit down and talk about Jesus. I love kids' ministry. I love youth ministry. I love seeing them learn things that they need to learn about Jesus and about life. Uh, One of the things I find young boys often need to learn, and others as well, but particularly the boys, uh, they need to learn that they're not as big as they think they are. Parents might know that experience as you've raised boys. Uh, 
you have times in kids' ministry where the kids are kind of running their little hearts out, playing a game of something, and, you know, as the leader, you, you go a bit soft for a time. You, you let them think that they're actually close, they might actually beat you, and then you just smash them, right? <laughs> you let them know that they're not as big as they think they are. An important lesson for them to learn. That's kind of what's going on with Jesus and the evil spirit in Mark 1, right? The spirit plays tough. He talks a big game. He challenges Jesus with his words. And you see what Jesus does in verse 25? It's not like the movies. There's no holy water, no kind of cross being wielded, no big struggle. Jesus just says, shut up, get out. And the spirit has to obey him. Jesus says it with an authority that means the evil spirit obeys. This war, it's not a fair fight. It's no contest. Jesus is the true authority, the highest authority in the world. Jesus is God himself. That's why I want to circle back to the, the fear, because it can be scary thinking there's these unclean, evil spiritual forces in the world. But for Christians, as we read this story, we, we see that we don't need to be afraid of dark spiritual forces. Yes, they're real. Yes, they have some real power, but we as Christians are on the side of a greater power, the the greatest power. We're on the side of the Lord Jesus. And so if you ever find yourself feeling some dark spiritual presence, turn to Jesus in prayer. Be confident that he will protect you. He is the power. He is seated far above every other authority and power and name that can be named. You'll be feeling a little bit of fear, I'm sure, when you experience that moment. But know and trust that you're on the right side, the winning side, the powerful side. Come to the Lord Jesus in that time. And if you're not yet a Christian, maybe you've been running scared of some spiritual presence, whatever that might be, can I urge you this morning to come to Jesus? Come to him. He is more powerful than whatever power is troubling you. As we're about to see, he's he's not just powerful. He is also good. If you come to him, he will care for you. His kingdom is the best kingdom to be part of. Hopefully that all helps us to understand why there might be some more miracles going on around the time of Jesus than what we see today. That actually makes sense. It's, it's not that we should expect to see the same number of miracles today. There was something new and unique, one-time one thing happening with Jesus. Jesus was walking the earth as God in the flesh, bringing his kingdom, bringing in his rule and his reign, and that included these vivid demonstrations of his power. Things like casting out unclean spirits. Jesus was and is the true authority. And he came not to use that authority and power for himself, but to serve people and to invite them to enjoy the goodness of his kingdom. That's the next point there in your outlines. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the God who cleanses his people. The God who cleanses his people. Have a look down, Mark chapter 1, verse 39. So Jesus here, he's still around that region of Galilee that we saw on the map before. Jesus went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. 
It's a powerful moment. Uh, the kids' talk helped us a bit to get into the mindset of this, but I want to try to help us some more. So I'm going to read for us a few sentences from Israel's law. Uh, and I want you to try to imagine, as you listen to this, what it would have been like to be this man with leprosy. See if you can imagine being in this position yourself. From Leviticus chapter 13, this is what the leper would have heard and been held to. The person who has a case of serious skin disease is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose and he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. Can you imagine having that life? Alone? Cut off from the systems and structures of society? You can't just pop down to the shops to pick up your food. You're not allowed in to the city. If anyone comes out to see you, whether they be friend or family member, they can't come close to you or else they might get unclean themselves. And you have to shout to warn them, covering your mouth. It, Living through a pandemic might make us feel some of this sense. Social distancing, but taken to the next level. Unclean, unclean. Imagine how much this man would have wanted his situation to change. And so this leper, he comes to Jesus in Mark 1 and he begs him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What's Jesus going to do? What kind of king will he be? We send him away and go, no, no, you're diseased. You need to be away from me. How dare you come close to me? No, look at Mark 1, verse 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus is willing. He liberates this man from his terrible sickness, liberates him from his position of being excluded from society. No longer does this man have to cry out that he is unclean. He can, he can walk freely within the city again. But notice how Jesus goes above and beyond what was necessary here. With the unclean spirit, Jesus just spoke a word and it was gone. He could have done the same thing. But he does something there in verse 41. I think Mark slows us down to see it. He, he reaches out his hand and he touches this unclean man. I'm sure you've had one of those moments in life where the touch of another person just means so much. This is one of those times. Jesus' gentle touch communicates to this man love and acceptance. He is welcomed by Jesus. You see, Jesus is a compassionate king. He uses his authority not to dominate other people, but to love people, to cleanse people. Now, I'm conscious that you might be here this morning and suffering some kind of illness that is seriously impacting your life. It might not be leprosy, it might not have all the same hallmarks of what the leprous person had to do there, but there's all sorts of sickness that impacts us so deeply changes the way we interact in society. And you might be here and you'd love Jesus to heal you. You might be saying, Jesus, if you are willing, please heal me. Next week, we'll spend a bit more time thinking about why God doesn't solve all our problems right here, right now. 
But if I can give you a sneak peek, the, the physical illnesses that we experience in this world are one of the outward results of our inward uncleanness. Remember the storyline of the Bible? It's our rebellion against God, us kicking him off his throne. That's what has led to this world of all kinds of pain and sickness. This is not the way the world was meant to be. This is not the way God created the world to be. And a day is coming when Jesus will return and establish his kingdom in all of its fullness. In that moment, all the sickness, all the pain, that will be gone forever. And Christians, we long for that day, don't we? We long for the day when the pain will be gone. And we can long for that day. We can only long for that day because Jesus cleanses us from the stain of our rebellion against God. The rebellion that let the pain into the world, Jesus offers to wash us clean. Wash us clean of our sin. And so I'm sorry if you're still feeling the impacts of sickness. I long with you for the day when Jesus will return and take that pain away. I rejoice that even now in the midst of the sickness, we can long for that day because we've been cleansed of our sin. And so maybe you're actually here this morning and and not thinking of the uncleanness of a physical illness, but maybe you can think of things that you've done that make you feel dirty. I've got my list of horrible things that I've done. Terrible things that I've thought about other people that I'd be horrified if they found out. Maybe you're carrying some memories of guilt and they, they stick to you like dog poo on the bottom of your shoe. You just oh, want it to be gone. You get that waft every now and then, it disgusts you. And maybe you've got some memories of sin like that. Like Lady Macbeth, you're washing your hands frantically out, damn spot, out trying to cleanse it from yourself. Or perhaps even you're like the leper and considered unclean by society. Maybe you've committed some sin that is not secret. It's widely known. And you feel and you see that people are disgusted by your sin. Maybe you feel like people don't want to touch you. How good is it to know that Jesus will touch you? Jesus will make you clean. Whatever that sin, whatever that guilt that you're carrying, Jesus can wash it white as snow. He's not going to send you away. He's not going to keep his distance. He'll come in. He'll touch you. He'll make you clean. He may not wipe away the earthly consequences of your sin. Those could linger. But he will wipe away their eternal consequences. He will welcome you into his kingdom if you want to come. So the question is not whether Jesus is willing, but if you are willing. Do you want Jesus to be your king? If you do, then he will have you. He will love you. He will forgive you for all that you have done. If you are willing, Jesus will have you in his kingdom. At that point, as you come to Jesus, you you ought to be accepted into the community of the church as well, even if you are still rejected in some sense by general society. 
And so church, let's be a community like that. Let's make sure that no one who walks in amongst us feels despised or kept at a distance or unclean. I'm not sure what kind of person you would find it hard to welcome. What kind of sin would make them seem unclean to you? might not even be sin that makes them feel unclean to you. It might be their physical appearance, how they look, what they wear, how they smell. May none of those things stop you from welcoming someone into this community of Auckland Evangelical Church with love. If they are willing to come, let them come. Uh, I'm really thankful. I mentioned before that you often don't find out how you've been grown and shaped until you leave a place and years later you might realise the impact. Uh, I now recognise the impact of the church I grew up in until I was age 10. Very, very thankful that for my first 10 years of life as a kid, I went to a church where Sunday by Sunday, uh, the bus would turn up from the local rehab centre uh, and women would pour out who were there battling their addictions, trying to find freedom from whatever had been going on in their life. I remember walking out the front door of church after the service was over to play some games and you just see this line of women having a smoke. You kind of smelt the fumes, but they were there and and you could see in their bodies the marks of the things they were battling with. I I was so thankful to have grown up in a church where I saw that and saw them welcomed and saw them coming to Jesus, saw them loved kept me from expecting church to be this pristine place of fancy dress and polite manners. Church is a place where sinners come together, thankful that we've been forgiven for our sin, even as we keep battling the impacts of sin in our own worlds. Let's be that kind of church, yeah? I hope you've seen this morning from Mark 1 that Jesus is the true authority. He is the God who cleanses his people. As I close, I feel like I need to circle back to this question of miracles because some of you might still be sitting there going, look, Lachlan, this all sounds good, but I won't believe it until I see a miracle. If I I could just see something miraculous, still water, uh, if I could just see something miraculous, then I'd believe. If that's you, I want to ask you this morning, do you think that's actually true? Would you actually submit to Jesus as your king if you saw something miraculous? What do you think it would take? What, what could you see that would challenge your naturalistic assumption that there is no God? Because <laughs> that's all it is that kind of keeps us from, th- or that makes us think miracles are so fantastic. If there is a God that made the whole world, well, any other miracle after that is nothing. That's, that's fine. It's easy. He spoke a word and created all things. Uh, If you think that seeing a miracle would change your mind, what what would that take? And remember that even before Jesus did any miracles here in Mark chapter 1, just as people heard his teaching, they were already astounded. They recognized his authority. So I want to say to you, and I've had this conversation many times with many different people, you might be the one that's different, but often when people are saying they want to see a miracle... You don't actually want Jesus to be king. I want to challenge you that you don't need to see anything to believe Jesus. His teaching is evidently true. His teaching is what he wants us to pay attention to. He doesn't want us to pay attention to the miracles. They're just illustrating his teaching. And we see that in Mark 1 verse 37. 
Have a look there as our final verse. Jesus has just come off this big night of healing loads of people in Capernaum. He's gone off in the morning to pray by himself. His followers come to him and they say, everyone's looking for you. And they've just seen all these miracles. They want to see some more. They want some more healing. And Jesus says to them, uh, let's, let's move on. Let's go to some neighboring villages, not so that I may heal there too, but so that I may preach there too. That's why I've come. Jesus came to teach, to preach, to announce that the kingdom of God had come. What good news that is. Don't wait to see some miracle. Come this morning. Enter into the kingdom of God by submitting to Jesus as the rightful king. Come and let Jesus wash away your sin. And let's look forward together to that day of Jesus' return when his kingdom will be all in all. All the sickness, all the pain, all the chaos, all the turmoil will all be gone. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, the glory, it's all yours as you've displayed so wonderfully in Christ, now and forever. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.